More draft prospect breakdowns today. Diving into Scoot Henderson, who could be the number two, number three guy in this draft class. What are his strengths, his weaknesses, the two years with the Ignite, what was learned, how much will that program help him? And of course, as a guard, his fit with the Pacers. It's all coming today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we are the only basketball podcast not talking about Matt Ishbia and Nikola Jokic. Instead, it's Scoot Henderson Day here at Locked On Pacers, continuing on through the NBA draft prospects and getting some of these top lotto guys done ahead of the lottery just to give everybody a feel for what's at stake for the Pacers. Victor Wambanyama was last week today. Rafael Barlow from our Locked On NBA Big Board show, also uh, writing for the NBA Big Board Substack, is going to join to talk Scoot Henderson, the G League Ignite guard man who some say in a typical draft would be the number one pick. Not going to happen in this draft. In fact, Number two and number three in contention for Scoot Henderson. We'll talk about it all today. And the tricky part of this, his potential fit with the Pacers, who already have two young, talented, maybe three young, talented guards in the fold at the same position as Henderson. Does this even make sense? We cover all that and more today in a wide-ranging conversation on Scoot Henderson. Let's get right to it. Rafael Barlow is here, one of our NBA draft insiders here at the Lockdown Network doing the NBA big board stuff, taking over for Chad Ford, one of the legends of the industry. Rafael, this is a crazy draft here, man. It's 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 insane how stacked it is at the top. And one of those guys is Scoot Henderson, who we're talking about today. Big picture, what do you think of Scoot and his two-year career with the Ignite so far? Yeah, Scoot kind of burst up on the scene out of really out of nowhere around last December or December 2021 and he just has so much momentum coming into the season and um you know arguably the best point guard prospect since I've heard Derrick Rose I've heard um I'm trying to think another great point guard prospect <laughs> but it, you know every year is different a couple years ago it was Kate Cunningham um a few years before that it was or after that it was or before that, it was John Morant, um, but I think Scoot is in that line of of point guards that can be your franchise changer. Yeah, the reason I think people put him in that franchise changer group is what he showed this year, where the volume was just so high. Where they put like last year, the ignite with Dyson Daniels and Foster, and you know all these other talented handlers. Like Scoot had the ball a good amount, but not a ton this year. It was like. <laughs> He's creating through pick and roll all the time. He's got the ball for scoring chances. The fact that he could do it things at a high volume, I think is what, to me, where I would start talking about him and say, you know, it's the Ignite. It's not the NBA, but that is a higher level than college. And the fact that he was able to take on such a big load, even with the Rocky season, I think is extremely impressive for his age. Yeah, it is, um, especially how he started. The second half of the season – has me concerned a little bit. That's why I, I said Rocky, say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to say he scored 25 or more, maybe like either his first four out of five or five out of his first six, six games, and then the second half of the season, it's kind of like he hit the brakes. And uh, I'm a little concerned about that, especially 
for like the ignite and even like overtime elite, you can't judge those guys in like pressured environments, right? You know, you're playing in the G League, it's 200 people at the game. I mean, the competition may be better, but you don't get an opportunity to see how those guys perform under pressure. And that has me a little bit concerned. Although the one game that even though it was a friendly and every NBA scout and you know, <laughs> I was there, he did put on a, a, a big time show. So you can say on the flip side is he, he he can rise to the occasion when he has something to play for. But um, yeah, I, mean, I think the school is going to be great. Yeah, that, that's where I just am blown away looking because like it was funny because. I hear all the because of the volume. So the, it, it's funny coming from a Pacers perspective because they have Halberton and Matherin. So everybody thinks, oh, you know, what what is Scoot's fit? We might we'll get to that way later. But it's like because he has the ball, does this make any sense? But it's funny when you dive into his 2021-22 tape. But it's like he's off the ball all the time. <laughs> the Ignite's got yeah. all these other dudes who ended up in the NBA. I'm not saying he'll be awesome off the ball or that's his ideal role. But it's funny to see kind of how his career has has evolved even two years in the G League level and. You know, obviously, if you're going to have the ball a lot, you're going to be making plays. But what stands out to me individually when he has it is his burst, right? The way he's his first step, the way he's able to get a half step on somebody or get by somebody or just in general create an advantage with the ball in his hands in the open floor, even in the half court. And I think every team's kind of looking for that, that advantage creation that can make it easier on everybody else. So that's where he kind of stands out to me. But I'm curious what you view his high level offensive skills as. Yeah, um, the burst. To me, the burst is impressive, but the pace and burst is what makes it really impressive. There are some guys that are really athletic, and they just have one gear, one speed. And he's a guy that has the first step, the burst, the quickness to get to where he wants on the floor. But there's a nice pace and calmness and matureness to his – I don't even know if matureness is a word. But there's, <laughs> there is a, a, a sense of maturity – around his game that makes him special i agree the first game i watched to dig into him the first bucket he took of the game was an elbow jumper where he's going full speed and then just eases right into it and he missed it but i was still like oh you know he slowed like slowing down is hard (laughs) for these guys sometimes and they're so good at at going fast i think some people refer to that as deceleration but i almost don't even think that's like the right way to describe it like he's not slowing down he's just under control and then shooting I, i don't know it's different but that that is hard to do, and especially when defenses are kind of owning in on you like they were this past season. I think that's going to be really huge for him at the NBA level. And uh, the other part of that is, you know, when you're a high volume guy, you run a lot of pick and rolls, as do a lot of NBA teams. He's pretty good in those situations. Ignite had solid bigs for those actions. Where did you see him kind of evolve in that way with the Ignite? Yeah, he, he improved as a passer and as a decision maker which is expected. I mean, I think he was, what, 17 when he started off in the G League? Yeah. So the... When I the, saw 2004 the, for his birth year, I was like, excuse me? <laughs> he yeah. started with the Ignite when he was what? <laughs> yeah, I just had this conversation with, with a, a scout. And um, some guys in this... It's off topic a little bit. Some guys in this draft, and they were like, man, this guy was born in 2000. And I'm like, 2000? I mean, there's guys... <laughs> that our draft eligible that were born in 2004. I was like, what makes it sounds crazier is next year there's going to be guys born in 2005. And they were just like, oh my gosh, I feel so old. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Scoot was 17 when he started with Ignite. Yeah, it's it's I, I can't believe that. And that's why the pick and roll stuff is so impressive, right? It's not that 
the the G League's like amazing, but you're going against NBA guys some nights, and the talent is better. Clearly, that's why. Like, what what do you like? I guess I'm talking here, but what do you think of the Ignite? Like, a lot of the guys that have made the NBA outside of Isaiah Todd, who have been drafted, have all done pretty well in their situation. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I think the jury stood out out on Kaminga. You can make a case I think he's good, say he but I get it. regressed a little bit this year. I mean, he was like the youngest player ever to play in the finals and um, last year. And then I mean, his role has, has been a little bit inconsistent. Jalen Green has put up great numbers. I still think it's it's tough. Um, Dyson Daniels is someone that I still can't believe he went as high as he did. I, I know personally I had Jaden Hardy ahead of him. And Hardy was ended up really, really good. Um, so I mean, there has been some success stories, and then you have um, I can't think of his name right now with, with Houston. Uh, he uh, yes, he didn't get yeah. drafted, and he ended up making the team. But then there's there's Michael Foster who put up really good numbers last year, didn't get drafted, spent the entire season in the G League, and I mean that's more so like style of play, not necessarily production. Yeah. But there was there a good game some- I watched where Michael mm-hmm. Foster was the best player <laughs> on the court. Like he yeah. was amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I did some some pre-draft videos and content around him last year, and I know like the people in his camp are just confused at why you know he didn't get drafted and so on. But you can make a case and say I shouldn't even say make a case. The G League Ignite has been successful. This is its third draft class. You're going to end up with a top. What five pick for the third year in a row? From not mis- well, not I guess they didn't have one last year, but two out of the three top years, eight. top eight last year. Though. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it has been a success, and you can make a case and say Scoot has been the their their best prospect so far. Hey guys, short little break so I can talk to you about Prize Picks and their one million dollar daily Superflex promotion for the NBA playoffs every day. Prize Picks will pick one user to give a chance at becoming a millionaire. One entry placed after 8 a.m. Eastern will be randomly selected each day. Whoever placed that entry will be given a six pick flex with the correct following payouts of $1 million for six correct picks, 80000 for five, and 16000 for four. Full details at prizepicks.com slash million. You must opt in at that link to be eligible for that entry. And once you opt in, you just play the game like normal. You could be the lucky winner. What is prize picks? It's easy. You pick two to six players. Will they score more or less in their prize picks projection for a bunch of stats? You can put 25 times your money on any entry. For example, will LeBron James have more or less than seven and a half assists in a given playoff game as the Lakers play? Prize picks. You can do it for any sport on any number of stats that you like. It's safe, it's fast, and it's operational over 30 states in Canada. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. Sign up, use and play daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code LOCKDOWN. You get 100% instant deposit match up to $100. You deposit 100 Prize Picks will give you 100 If you deposit 50 Prize Picks will give you 50 Don't forget to enter the promo code LOCKDOWN to sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100 at Prize Picks Daily Fantasy. Made easy. The shot looks solid but you know it's like depending on what type of the season you look at his stats exhibition play awesome regular season terrible playoffs decent like what do you make of him as a shooter or do you even feel like it matters given what he actually is good at yeah the shooting is important to me last year in his first year i thought he showed real advancement as a pull-up shooter in mid-range mid-range um shot maker then this year if I'm not mistaken, I think the numbers dipped a little bit overall from even from the right. mid range. So last year, that I want to say it was like twenty something percent from three, and I understood why because it was such a huge adjustment going from high school line to the NBA. 
huge adjustment. And I mean, I've I've been around a bunch of guys training for the for the draft this year, and some guys are really struggling. Well, I shouldn't say struggling, but just the adjustment to try to going from shooting college threes to NBA threes, like pull-ups on the moves and all that has been a little bit of an adjustment for them. So I understood it for school last year. This year, I'll be honest, I felt like the the progression as a shooter, it, it wasn't what I expected to be, but a lot of that has was, was basically because of the second half of the season where he really struggled shooting. What do you make of his second half? Like, why do you feel like he hit such a wall? Like December-ish, January-ish? Yeah, I mean, he had some nagging injuries. I had this conversation with his agent a few weeks back, and um, he he called me. It was just kind of like, basically, like, why is it even a discussion that Scoot is possibly going number three? And, of course, he's an agent, and he has his pitches. And everything he said just just made total sense. And uh, he's like, you know, if – if um if Scoot plays the second game and the Wimbayama game, then we're possibly talking about who's going number one. Because I mean you can make a case and say Scoot outplayed him that game, the first game, and then just the second half of the season. And so I, I think the struggle was what is there to play for, in a sense? You know, in in Wimbayama's case, he's trying to win the French league. He's trying to I mean, basically every game counts. You know, in college basketball, you're trying to win your conference tournament and so on. In the G League, what is there really to play for if you're you're Scoot Henderson, right? Um, most guys in the G League at that point in the season feel like, hey, I'm not getting a call up. And even now with the way two-way contracts are set up, guys aren't really getting 10-day contracts anyway. And, and so it's easy to kind of take your foot off the gas a little bit when you're Scoot because there's – I mean, honestly, like what was there – to, to play for in a sense. And on one hand, you can say, well, you should want to get up and perform at the highest level every game. So, I mean, I can understand both arguments, but I just, like I said, I just think he took his foot off the gas a little bit. Yeah, the Ignite record was also <laughs> not not great, so not even like a playoff yep. push in mind for them any, at any point of the season. We've spent this whole time, and this is my fault, but talking about his offense, defense also exists and matters, and Look, when you play with a point and you're 6'4 and bulky, like you can guard guys, you can stay in front of guys, he's quick. But I also feel like he's a ball watcher, certainly, on that end of the floor. Uh, what do you make of his defense both on and off the ball? I'm not concerned. I mean, he's a kid. You know, he's 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 really young. So I think he it's an adjustment because prior to going to the G League, he probably was a great defender just based off of his physical tools and yeah. And athleticism. And so I think it is going to be an adjustment. I, I do think that the adjustment for him may be a little bit smaller since he did play in the G League and he knows NBA terminology and, and defensive sets. But I think he'll be fine as a defender. I mean, right now, obviously, defense is behind the offense, which is totally expected when someone is that young, especially as a rookie. I agree with all that. And like he's just powerful on that end, if that makes any sense. When the guy he's guarding has the ball, and you, know, you I said this a lot last year too. I think even when we were talking about Shaden, like, do you make anything of guys being kind of inattentive off the ball at non NBA levels, or is it just like a totally overblown thing? Because 
especially like we just talked about when the game maybe doesn't matter as much. It can be hard to be focused all the time. Or is that actually something that at the NBA level teams could go, well, he might not necessarily be the best team defender when when he's growing? Or do you feel like they can just grow into that as their pros? Yeah, I, I think that's probably the hardest adjustment because, again, we're talking about guys that are outliers athletically. And they were even more outliers at the high school level. So they probably never had to play defense. They never had to do anything on the defensive end because they could do nothing on defense and still outscore whoever they are, you know, who's ever guarding them by 20 points or more. So I I think it's just a a huge adjustment. and And I think it's just totally up to the player if they want to be great, especially in a guy like Scoot. He has all the physical tools to be a really, really good defender. So it's totally 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 up to him and if he wants to be an all nba level defender i think he can be it's certainly possible especially with the way he is on the ball and if i'm a team the fact that he's six four is encouraging like i always when the pacers drafted aaron holiday i talked about this a lot but like if you're six feet tall even if you try your ass off on defense and you're a good it's like really hard to be a good defender at that height it just is like you're automatically shorter have a disadvantage compared to everybody else it's like chris paul kyle lowry (laughs) That's kind of it, right? So thankfully, Henderson has, for NBA teams at least, four or five inches on that and definitely more bulk than the typical point guard does to kind of help him in that way. Uh, In terms of other, I don't want to say weaknesses, but just stuff to grow on for him as he gets better, the turnovers, some of them I'm kind of like, what was the plan there? Or that seemed a little forced or things like that. Turnover rate this year ended up being pretty high, 2.8 per game in the G League. What do you think of his decision-making and kind of, that that am I overblowing that? No, um, especially if you want him to uh, be your franchise point guard, and if you're in a situation, if you're a team, well, if you're a GM or a coach, and you have to like win right away, you got to make the playoffs in year one or two, and there's a little bit of pressure, then maybe a little bit more concerned. I do think spacing was an issue. The ignite didn't have great spacing. And another, I guess, small issue that I have with the Ignite is I don't think they're they're putting together the best team of guys. So as far as like the best fits and pieces to a puzzle, um, I don't think all their parts complemented each other. But that's that's just the G League, right? So I do think with NBA spacing and just his ability to get downhill. I think he's going to be fine as far as um, turnovers because even if he's just making the basic reads like driving and kicking, I think he'll be totally fine. Would you say it's fair that in a in a year without Wembenyama, he'd be number one? Like in a typical draft, Scoot Henderson would be a number one pick. Um, I mean, I'm kind of biased because I really like Brandon Miller, <laughs> so I don't I don't <laughs> think enough. the gap between those two is is is. I mean, I, I think where it is now is where it should have been all year. And I, you know, it's kind of crazy that I, I, I got absolutely blasted on Twitter (laughs) earlier in the year for even suggesting that. So I just think it's, it depends. I mean, I still don't even know if Scoot is going to be a lock to go number two, because I think there are some teams that are going to prefer the versatility of a Brandon Miller that can defend multiple positions that can already shoot. I mean, he's, he's a year older. So 
to answer that question, no, I don't think it, it it is it is a lock just because I think some teams are valuing length, versatility, and shooting over a point guard that can probably just defend one position. Yeah, that's fair. I think with the where the NBA is going, and it kind of depends on maybe who the team is picking to. And hey, yeah. we're on a Pacers <laughs> podcast. I do want to talk about that, right? Because you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, and we've talked about Hardy and Daniels and all these guys that had the ball his first year with the Ignite, but like he. Scoot Henderson's better with the ball than without it. And the Pacers have Tyrese Halliburton, who is fantastic with the ball. Would you would you see at the pro level that fit or any team with a another high volume guy having a clunky fit with Scoot and that player? Like the Detroit with Cade, for example, any of these lottery teams like that. Yeah, I think that would be awful. <laughs> Detroit, <laughs> going to Detroit. I mean, if I'm Detroit and I get, let's say, the number two pick, then it's a no-brainer. I'm going with, with Brandon Miller. I, you know, a lot of people say, oh, best player available. I, I, I totally get that. But if you have the best player available and he plays the same position as your, two of your other three best players, then you're not going to be able to maximize their gifts. Um, so I would go with Brandon Miller from Detroit. But in in the sense of this being a Pacers podcast, I think Tyrese Halliburton is this unique player that can play with any type of guard. And when he was coming out of school and I, I had, I was, I was high on Halliburton, but I did not think he would be an engine. My knock on him was he's going to be a great complimentary player. I thought he could play next to Chris Paul and Phoenix. Um, I thought he could play with so many guys, but I, I just did not think he was going to be an engine. I had concerns about him getting downhill drawing free throws. And I remember I was, I live in Dallas and I went to a Mavericks game and you probably remember, I think he had a game. We shot like 17 free throws or something like that against the Mavericks. So, With the Kings, you mean? Yeah. Uh, no, it was, it was this year. Was it, it was this year. Uh, it was, it was in Dallas. Oh yeah. Yeah. They won. They, yeah. They beat the Kyrie and Luca both played, but the Pacers won. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, um, but yeah, I just really had concerns about him. Like I said, getting downhill. I didn't know if he'd be able to get the shot off like that. Just, all the concerns that a lot of people had, I don't, nobody can say, I don't, I think you're totally lying if you're saying that you thought Tyrese Halliburton was going to be an all star before his rookie contract expires. <laughs> but anyway, with all that being said, I think Halliburton and Scoot can play together because Halliburton can, he can catch, he shoot off the catch. He has the length to defend multiple positions. He's unselfish. I think it'll be, you know, a little bit of an adjustment at first, but I, I would think a Scoot Halliburton backcourt it would totally work for me. That would be a no-brainer. Now let's throw Matherin in the mix. Does that change any of that for you? Um, no, no. I mean, I think, I, I think maybe you. I, well, how I look at it is, I think all three of them could close in a game. Right? You can close a game with them starting. Who cares? But closing, I think all three could be in a, a closing lineup. Um. Yeah, so no, it, it wouldn't bother me at all. Now, if Hilda is still there, then there's a problem there. <laughs> you got you got a lot of mouths to feed there, but not. Uh, I don't and Nimbard and McConnell also in the mix. A lot of guards on this. Yeah, team, you know? yeah. I mean, Nimbard was great. I mean, uh-huh. you, you really got lottery production out of him this year. I feel like I feel like you got lottery production out of Carlisle him. Carlisle called him a top ten pick, like late in the season, which it's, it's kind of close. He might make all rookie. Yeah, yeah. I think he will. I, I definitely think he will. Good player. So th- that's where I think a lot of the Pacers discussion around Scoot will be, because I think he's really good. Like, I think guys who can create advantages basically every time they touch the ball, even if it's not 
there might be some clunkiness in there with the turnovers and maybe guys start sagging off at some point in the NBA. But if you can create an advantage almost every time you touch the ball, I'm going to be pretty high on what you can be in the NBA. So I think Scoot's going to be really good, no doubt. But I think a lot of the question locally with him is going to be fit stuff. And that's why I wanted to ask you about that just because with Tyrese Halberton here, with Matherin here, and like who knows what the Pacers starting lineup is going to look like next year because you mentioned Buddy Heald too. Who knows? But if Scoot's also on the team, it gets really interesting, especially if it's like, would you rather draft Scoot and then figure out fit later, or would you rather pass on him and risk that he's amazing? But it, you know, it might depend on what pick you have or who's still available, right? Like if you're at three or two, there's a big difference in who's available. So it's all just going to be really interesting to see how that gets discussed and what what ends up coming from it. Yeah, do the Pacers have three first round picks this year? They have seventh best lottery odds, and then they have twenty six and twenty nine. So they could have three, three first round. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think you would take Scoot. And then I think you can address your needs at the forward spots and, and shooting. I think you can address that in later on in the first round. So I, I, I don't think, think there's, there's, a, there's no way they're picking all three because yeah. they don't have enough roster spots. They just, yep. they can't do it. So, well, I think they're going to be the busiest team on draft day. That's really? just my, my guess. I, <laughs> Like there's a part of me that feels like the Miles Turner deal was to put him in position to possibly move him. Even though Miles Turner seems like he's been in the league like 10 years, he's still he's still pretty young. Um I, my gut feeling is telling me that Buddy Hill is going to be shopped on, on draft day so it clears up some room for for Matherin. That would get a little bit congested again if if you end up drafting Scoot. But I, I would assume Buddy Hill would be gone. I mean, there are teams that really, especially teams that feel like they're close, that would really value his shooting. And I think the Patriots can get something good return for him. Yeah, they've got a lot of attractive stuff. They just want to make the playoffs themselves, which is why it's kind of tricky for me to figure out exactly yeah. what they want to keep, what they want to move. And it might depend on what happens in the lottery. To, to, to close out on Scoot a little more, I, I'm glad we actually diverted because there's a lot of interesting Pacers draft discussions. His yeah. head up dribbling is really advanced. Is that like a very niche thing to say? Like a lot of guys who are fast, they look down a lot or they're on a straight line. Like he can keep his head up and look around. That's one other thing I had in my notes that I, that I thought was uh, necessary to talk about just because if he's going to be a creator, but it's, it's very linear or very simple kind of stuff. That's not that helpful, but the fact that it can be one or two reads away and he sees what's going on, I think is really valuable to what he can be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that he's going to be really good. What I like most about Scoot is he has like this. I guess you can't say it's quiet because he's been very vocal <laughs> about how confident he is. <laughs> but he has a cool calmness to him on the court. Like he's not very. I mean, you just don't get a lot of like expressions out of him. He seems very calm and cool, but there's this inner confidence that i really really appreciate and you know you always hear the the saying sports is mental 80 percent, whatever 90 yada 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 i think he just has the confidence in the way he carries himself i think he's going to be really successful so if he ends up landing in in, in indiana i mean that that would be very very good for like a small market team like the pacers to have him under contract for a few years yeah i'll be fascinated to see where Hands up, and if it's here, is there anything we haven't covered from a strengths or weaknesses perspective? Because what, quite frankly, we, you know, defense a little bit and turnovers. Is there anything else you feel like we've we've missed on either side that is is key when talking about Scoot? No, I think we covered it all. I mean, like my concerns were the the second half of the season and the the shooting, just the progression as a shooter. 
did not seem to it, it wasn't what I personally thought it would be. But again, if you divide his season into two halves, the first half and the second half, and then you take away the injuries, then it's probably really not a concern at all. But like I said, I spoke with his agent before and he had mentioned that he did have some troubles breathing because he had like the nasal fracture injury and um, dealt with some ankle injuries issues. So that probably played a role in the slump in the second half. But outside of that, I mean, I think he's going to be totally fine. I do too. I think he's going to be special and, and an absolute blast to watch at the pro level. We'll see where he ends up or if the Pacers even move up and have a chance. <laughs> it's a big scoot, Anderson, in a few weeks. Raph, thanks for your time. Where can people follow you and your coverage of all these players in the draft? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Barlow500. And then I have a newsletter that I took over for chat for it, like you had mentioned earlier in the show, NBABigBoard.com. It is a subscription-based newsletter, but it does have some exclusive content and intel. I've been in the gym with quite a few of the top prospects um, that will be in this draft. And then um, I, I might get a chance to go to Atlanta, catch up with school and, and you know, get an inside look at some of his private workouts. But I'll be able to um, just kind of give you some access that you may not be able to get anywhere else. He's from Atlanta, correct? Is he training there all, all off season? Yep. Yep. School is in Atlanta. Yep. There you go. Well, there you go. I'm really looking forward to this. We'll do Brandon Miller later this week, who I should have done with you, apparently, because you're really on him. It's hey, good. But me up. Yeah, if you need to do it, I can do it. <laughs> Yeah, and he, given what we talked about with the Pacers' needs, could be a very good fit in the Circle City from a basketball perspective. Looking forward to diving into that. Thank you for the time, Raphael. This week, finishing up the player season reviews, talking about Halliburton with Caitlin tomorrow and some other uh, key Pacers topics ahead of the lottery next week. Thank you all for listening. Have a great day. We'll see you soon.